From Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So ends the reading from the Gospel of Luke, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like us uh, to think today, uh, how, does, how does God get through to us? How does God uh, communicate with us? Um, uh, God has witnesses uh, that he's uh, created, that he, that he uses to get through to us. And one of, one of the witnesses that, uh, that God has for us is everything we see around us. I mean, the trees, the lakes, the hills, uh, the rocks, uh, the sky, the stars, the moon. And uh, one of the witnesses that God has for us is that we can't help but ask the question, our children can't help but ask the question, where, where did all this come from? Where did all this beauty come from? Where did all this splendor come from? Where did all this majesty come from? Uh, I was texting uh, Charlie Stahl, he's up in Pennsylvania right now visiting family, and we live not too far apart from each other. And I told him when I was texting him, I said, I said boy, I'd love to see those mountains right now, you know? And uh, he said, well, it's about 40 degrees, you know. It gets down to 40, low 40s at night. <laughs> and he said, you know, uh, as you know, uh, this part of the country, they have to, to pump sunshine into this part of the country. They, you know, <laughs> it, don't account, it don't occur too naturally. They've got to pump it in. And he's right. <laughs> but uh, but I, I grew up, as I trust you grew up, uh, enjoying um, nature. Uh, they created order around us. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks uh, to this uh, in Isaiah, uh, first of all, uh, Psalm 8, pretty familiar passage of scripture. You probably have read Psalm 8. David writes, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. God, you've made all this awesome stuff, and yet you care for us it's in the midst of it. And then the, uh, the Apostle Paul in uh, Romans, the very beginning of Romans, uh, he has this to say. He writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness, of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. We're, out, we're without excuse, Paul's saying. Uh, to call ourselves an atheist and look at the stars at night, look at the creation around us, it, is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's what Paul's saying here. It just doesn't work that we should deny God. God uses all he has wondrously created to move us to think about him. Now, another witness that God has uh, to encourage us to, to know him, believe in him, and trust him, and honor him is our conscience. Think about your sense of conscience, your sense of right and wrong. Now, other creatures don't have what we have. A horse or a dog don't have the sense of right and wrongness that we have, right? Our sense of fairness. We quickly, when we see injustice, what do we say? That's not fair. Well, why do we say that? Why do we get so up in arms about people not being treated the way they should be? What's the source of that? It's our conscience. God's given us this sense of rightness and wrongness of what is fair and what isn't fair. And we have to deal with our own conscience because we all go against our own conscience. We all say things, we all do things that we later say, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? That was wrong. That wasn't right. That wasn't fair. That wasn't just. So we all have to wrestle with this thing God's given us called our conscience. And the good news, of course, is through Christ, we can find forgiveness. We can find forgiveness. And we need, we need forgiveness. We need to have our conscience cleaned up. Again, now the Apostle Paul speaks about this in the book of Romans. He says this in Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God, through Jesus Christ, will judge the secret thoughts of all. Judge the secret thoughts of all. Now, of course, there is another avenue or witness that God has given to us. And it's right here. It's right here. What are you going to do with this book? What are you going to do with this book? What are you going to do with what you read in this book? And God has wondrously given us this witness in black and white. You know, it's one thing to look at a tree or look at the sky and, and glory and the beauty there, but what, what's it really saying to us about God? Well, God's powerful and God's creative and God makes splendorous, beautiful things. 
we can look at our conscience, what's it really saying? But here God speaks. God shares his mind with our minds. And Jesus, when he has this first encounter with his disciples after his resurrection, he reminds them of the Old Testament part of this book. And he reviews with them what it had said in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about the Messiah. And you know, there's like 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled them all. He, just, he reminds his disciples that the Messiah would be the lamb who would suffer and die, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And perhaps he reviewed with them, again, a passage you're probably familiar with, but in Isaiah chapter 53, we read these words, beginning at verse beginning at verse 4. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. and to make his life an offering for sin. So this was the plan. And, and again, Jesus was reminding his disciples, this was the plan for this to happen to me, guys. And you should have known it. You should have understood that. You shouldn't have been so surprised when they took me and nailed me to that cross. Because it was all there. It was all there. Were you paying attention? Were you really paying attention to what was already written in the book, in, in the scriptures? And he, he also talked about his resurrection, of course. And in Psalm 16, we read this prophecy, beginning of verse 8. Uh, David, the writer of this psalm, says, I keep the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body also rest secure for you do not give up you do not give me up to shield or let your faithful one see the pit a lot of bible teachers including myself believe that this is a reference to the resurrection you do not allow your holy one uh, to to see the pit your faithful one to see the pit and then in Isaiah 26, there's an extraordinary verse. I won't read all the, I'll just read the one verse. It's good to read the context. It's always good to read the context, by the way, in scripture. But here we read in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, concerning the resurrection. Your dead shall live. Their corpses shall rise. 
O dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a radiant dew, and the earth will give birth to those long dead. Pretty explicit, huh? <laughs> Pretty explicit about, about the resurrection. About the resurrection. So the witness of the created world, nature, the witness of our conscience, and then the witness of Holy Scripture. And so Jesus reminds his disciples what their job was now. They were to go out and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. That's your job, guys. That's the job of the church. That is the job of the church, primarily. And if the church isn't doing that, guess what? We're not doing our job. We're not doing our job. Now what, what happens, any one of us, we go to work, we don't do our job right. We don't do what we're supposed to do, yeah? Yeah. James knows if he goes to work tomorrow morning and he says, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We're not doing, we, we got to do our job and this is such an important focus of doing our job is to proclaim this message. You see, if it's, if it's, if it's true, I know we all believe it is true, we, we've got something more significant than the cure to cancer. Now think about this. If you knew the cure to cancer, if you somehow concocted something in your kitchen and all anybody with cancer had to do was drink it and their cancer would disappear, what would you do with that understanding? Would you just say, well, look, what, look isn't this nice? Maybe tell a couple friends, maybe family members. Is that all you do with that information? Not, not pass it on beyond your family circle or your neighborhood? No. What would you do? You'd go to anyone and everyone you could and say, drink this. Get rid of your cancer. Right? Well, we got something greater than that. Because we have something that goes beyond death onto eternity. And we got to let, let the word get out there. We got, we got something more significant than the cure to cancer. So he calls us to be his witnesses. Yes, the created world is, is a witness. Our conscience is a witness of our need for salvation, forgiveness. Scriptures is a witness, but guess, up, guess who else God wants as a witness? You know, it's like Uncle Sam. Remember the poster of Uncle Sam? I want you. <laughs> I want you to be my witness, right? And he does. It, we're all called to it. Preachers are called to it, absolutely, but every Christian, because every Christian is a minister. I'm a clergy person. Dan's a retired clergy person. But it isn't just our job. It's every minister, and every, every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is a minister. If we really value what we have in Christ, we need to share it. But you know what gets in our way of being witness, of building God's kingdom by sharing our faith and proclaiming the gospel? The thing that gets in our way, it gets in my way. I'll, I'll make the confession right now. Is we're more concerned about building our own kingdom than we are building God's kingdom. That's what gets in our way. We're too afraid of what people will think. Even if we just invite them to church or say anything religious around them or spiritual around them. 
What that means is we're much more concerned about our own kingdom than we are with God's kingdom. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? Well, we're so timid and afraid to say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done to build God's kingdom, then really what we're most focused on is our own kingdom. Our own kingdom. That's where Peter was, right? You know, and after the resurrection, the, these little servant girls come and say, hey, hey, I, I recognize you. You, you, you want his. I don't know this guy. What was, what was Peter doing? He was concerned about his kingdom, his life, his reputation. You know, but then on the day of Pentecost, what happened to Peter? Man, he stood in front of thousands. He said, this is what God calls you to do is embrace Jesus. And Peter died. Now, that's not in the Bible, but we're pretty sure he was crucified. He was crucified upside down because he told those who were crucifying him, he said, please don't crucify me the way you crucified Jesus. Crucify me upside down. I don't want to be, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. Just crucify me upside down. And we're pretty sure that's what they did. He was crucified upside down. He died for his faith. He didn't die for his own kingdom or his own reputation. But that's what gets in our way, folks. That's what that gets in my way. It gets in all of our way. We're just so much more concerned. You see, the Methodist movement flourished in England and really flourished even more in the colonies. And then after the Revolutionary War, it really flourished. It just it literally exploded because Methodists were willing to be witnesses. That's how it happened. And folks, if the Methodist movement is to survive the future, guess what we got to do? We got to do what our forebearers did. We got to be witnesses. It's, it's not going to survive. Local churches will not survive. The movement itself will not. It just won't survive. You see, we can only live on yesterday's gains for so long. You hear what I'm saying? We can only live on yesterday's gains for so long. And then it ends. And it ends. So we are called to be his witnesses. Our lives cannot be about ourselves and about Jesus at the same time. One or the other must rule. Either we're sitting on the throne of our lives or Jesus is there sitting on the throne of our lives. There's no room for two people on that throne. We are either going to choose each moment to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ or we're going to choose to live to build our own kingdom, do our own thing, live to please ourselves or those immediately around us. The abundant life Jesus spoke about is only for those who make the focus of their lives that of being witnesses of his. You hear what I'm saying? We all want an abundant life, don't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we all want to be blessed by God, but that's for those who are willing to be witnesses. Being a witness is tough. It's hard. Ask John Wesley. It was hard for Wesley. It's hard for anyone. But in the midst of it, there's meaningfulness and there's joy and there's hope. I want to conclude with uh, a, the words to a hymn that's in your hymnal. It's a... Uh, on page 417 and it's a poem written by Charles Wesley in uh, 1742 and the title of the hymn is oh for a heart to praise my God and it goes like this 
Oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that always feels thy blood so freely shed for me, a heart resigned, submissive, meek, my great Redeemer's throne, where only Christ is heard to speak, where Jesus reigns alone, a humble, lowly, contrite heart, believing, true, and clean, which neither life nor death can part from Christ who dwells within, a heart in every thought renewed and full of love divine, perfect and right and pure and good, a copy, Lord, of thine. Thy nature, gracious Lord, impart, come quickly from above. Write thy new name upon my heart, thy new best name of love. Amen. The first chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Well, I, I do have a message prepared, but after a song like that, I hardly feel like I need to preach. But, but thank you, James. Thank you. That was, that was awesome. Well... Let's think about patience for a little bit. How many of us see ourselves as patient people? Well, we hear some chuckles out there, okay. You know, I think we all can be a little more patient than we are. And you know, there's the old saint who's prayed, Lord, I, I want patience and I want it now. 
you know? <laughs> so we, we can all grow with that. Uh, I know that I, I hate to wait in a line. You know, I just, you know, thank the Lord for herself. When I pull myself, I'll look at my emails and stuff and kill the time that way. But you probably don't like waiting in line either. And there have been times when uh, <clears throat> I've cut people off in a conversation. You know, I, I, I'm just so anxious to say what I've got to say that I just cut them off and I'm not patient with conversations so often. And there's times when I just say to myself, boy, why, why did I say that? Well, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> but I said it anyway. Or I wish I, I hadn't done that. I wish I had waited. You know, I wish I had waited. So Jesus is here with his disciples after his resurrection, and his instructions to them is to wait, to wait, to pray, to wait. He had a big job for them to do, to be starting the whole movement of being witnesses of his to the very ends of the world. But he said, first, first you gotta wait. You gotta wait. You need power to do that. And guys, you don't have enough power on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And he reminded folks that, you know, remember, John baptized with water. It was a, a baptism of repentance of sin, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit with power from above. So they were to wait for this empowerment to be witnesses. Uh, now the disciples asked Jesus if it was yet time to restore the kingdom of Israel. What was that all about? Well, these guys and a lot of others wanted Jesus to restore the nation the way it was under King David, under King Solomon, you know, powerful men, powerful kingdoms. But of course, Jesus said, no, that's, that's not what we're talking about, guys. We're not, we're not a political movement, and we're not a military movement. We are a, a movement of people who want to change the hearts and minds of others and turn people to their creator. That's, that's what your job is. It's to, it's to move people to look to, to God through, through me for salvation, to confess their sin, to repent of their sin, and look to God for salvation. And so this, this is what he called them to do, but they had to wait. And you know, it's, it's, it's not, not fun to wait. It's not fun to be patient about things. You know, there's the old saying, of course, strike when the iron is hot, right? You've heard that, strike when the iron is hot. Uh, but you have to wait till the iron gets hot, right? <laughs> There's some time there. If you strike before the iron is hot, you don't, you don't do much. You don't do much. A major dimension of our being disciples of Jesus Christ is, is being so closely related to him, abiding in him, that we know when to act and we know when to wait to act. Now, there's a wonderful example in the Old Testament I'd like to share with you today. When the Jewish folks under Moses' leadership just messed up big time because they weren't ready to strike when the iron got hot and then when the iron was cold, they decided to strike and it was not a bad, not, not a good situation. So we have the Jews, they've left Egypt. God has miraculously freed them from their slavery in Egypt. They're moving uh, to the promised land, to Palestine. And they get right up to the edge of 
Canaan, Palestine. And so Moses sends out spies, uh, one man from each of the 12 tribes to check out the land. Go out there, men, check it out, find out what the land is like there across the Jordan. And so in uh, Numbers chapter 13, we read uh, this uh, description of all that, beginning in verse 17. Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up there into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they live in is good or bad, and whether the towns that they live in are unwalled or fortified, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Behold, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they go on out there to check out the land, and they return, uh, and they, uh, they give this report. They said to Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they had a big cluster of grapes that they had brought with them. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Moses, it doesn't look good for us. These people are powerful. They got fortified cities. And when, it, when they talk about the descendants of Anak, Anak was a giant man. And these, 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 these people are big. You know, we don't stand a chance against these people. We don't stand a chance. Now, going on, we have, uh, we have uh, Caleb. Caleb gives his response to all this. And uh, Caleb, uh, Caleb's 80 years old right now. But he, he gives this report. He says, the land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Uh, them being Caleb and uh, Joshua. They didn't want to go, to, they didn't want to cross the Jordan. They, they believed the report of the man who said, we can't, we can't do this. We just can't do this. And then God says, to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? God was disappointed with these people. They just won't trust him. Yeah, they're big people. Yeah, they're fortified cities. So what? We can do this. I can do this with you. We can, we can conquer this land. 
he was angry, God was angry, and decided that of the 12 spies, only two of them would enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10, and all the people who were 20 years of age and older would die in the desert. They would not enter the promised land. Only those 20 years of age and younger would enter the promised land. Well, when they heard what God had said to Moses, the people were pretty upset. And they turned to Moses, and when Moses said, you're gonna die out here in the desert, they didn't wanna die out in the desert. So they turned to Moses and they say, okay, we'll do it. We'll, we'll charge across there, the Jordan, and we will conquer these people. They evidently thought they could change God's mind if they moved at that point. But the time had passed. Uh, it wasn't God's will for them to attack. And so we read in Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 39, When Moses told these words to all the Israelites, the people mourned greatly. They rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, why do you continue to transgress the command of the Lord? That will not succeed. Do not go up, for the Lord is not with you. Do not let yourselves be uh, struck down before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will confront you there, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed, they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, even though the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses had not left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them, pursuing them as far as Hormah. So you see what happened here? When the people heard they were going to die out there in the desert, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go then. We'll go then. But the Lord had changed his mind. He said to Moses, don't, don't, don't send the people. But they said, well, well, we'll go anyway. Even if the Lord says not to go, we'll go anyway. We'll go anyway. You know, we, we can't presume that we, we have to be assured of God's direction in our lives. And, and these people were not. I mean, they should have attacked when God told them to attack. They would have been successful. But no, they, they, didn't, they didn't trust God. And a big part of living the Christian life, I believe, is that sense of assurance from God that what we're doing what we plan to do is really his will. And how do we, how do we, how do we know that? How do we know God's will? How, how do we know when to strike that iron, when the iron, iron is hot enough to strike? How, how do we determine that? Well, the major way that God gives us direction is through the scriptures, is through the scriptures. God will never call us to say something or do something that conflicts with Holy Scripture. So it's important for us to know our Bibles really well and in that way gain an assurance of God's direction. But there's another very important 
way to, to uh, have, a, have a sense of God's direction in our lives. And that's through the counsel of fellow believers. The counsel of fellow believers. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. Our family members, our friends who we know really love us, <clears throat> who are really looking out for us, who really want the very best for us, <clears throat> we can trust their counsel. We can trust their advice. And we need people in our lives who know us well, people we've related to and we've shared our lives with, and we can go to them and say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this or doing that. What do you think? And they might say, that won't work for you. That won't work for you. I really believe that um, our, our spouses, our family members, our close friends, in many ways know us better than we know ourselves. Because they can, they can see us from a perspective that we can't see ourselves. The truth is that uh, we all live in some level of denial. We all live in, we don't want to accept certain things. Is, is, being true. We all have these blind spots and we need the pe we need people around us who we know love us to help us see the things we just can't see or that we're just denying in denial about. <clears throat> so this is this these are two important guideposts. What does the Bible say about our plans, what we want to do? And what what do those who love us counsel us about? with the plans that we have. Um, if, if, the, if the people had not attacked when God was not telling them to attack, if they had not done that, if they had listened to the word of the Lord, and if they'd heard Moses who cared for them and loved them, they would have lived for many more years. But many of them died that day because they went against the counsel of the Lord and the counsel of Moses. Making decisions based primarily on our own understanding may be disastrous, may lead us away from God instead of towards God. Well, the disciples did what they were told to do. They waited. They simply waited. They prayed. They waited together. And that waiting was not in vain because on the day of Pentecost, when they gathered with amongst themselves as Jewish people to celebrate the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday. When they came together, the Holy Spirit filled their lives. And Peter, who, you know, who had been so afraid to, to be known as one of Jesus' followers, he lied about it, cursed out little servant girls saying that he was. What, what does Peter do? He stands up in front of thousands of people, basically says, I belong to Christ. I'm his disciples. You need to belong to Christ. You need to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So may our hearts and our minds be so tied to the Lord, so abiding in him, so uh, understanding of Holy Scripture and so open to the advisement of those who love us that we can know the Lord's will for our lives. Amen. The first chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 11. 
In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Well, I, I do have a message prepared, but after a song like that, I hardly feel like I need to preach. But, <laughs> but thank you, James. Thank you. That was, that was awesome. Well, let's think about patience for a little bit. How many of us see ourselves as patient people? Well, we hear some chuckles out there, <laughs> okay. You know, I think we all can be a little more patient than we are. And, you know, there's the old saint who's prayed, Lord, I, I want patience and I want it now, you know. <laughs> so we, we can all grow with that. Uh, I know that I, I hate to wait in a line, you know, I just, you know. Thank the Lord for herself. When I pull myself, I'll look at my emails and stuff and kill the time that way. But you probably don't like waiting in line either. And there have been times when uh, <clears throat> I've cut people off in a conversation. You know, I, I, I'm just so anxious to say what I've got to say that I just cut them off and I'm not patient with conversations so often. And there's times when I just say to myself, boy, why, why did I say that? Pretty stupid, <laughs> but I said it anyway. Or I wish I, I hadn't done that. I wish I had waited. You know, I wish I had waited. So Jesus is here with his disciples after his resurrection, and his instructions to them is to wait, to wait, to pray, to wait. He had a big job for them to do, to be starting the whole movement of being witnesses of his to the very ends of the world. But he said, first, first you gotta wait. 
you got to wait. You need power to do that. And guys, you don't have enough power on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And he reminded folks that, you know, remember, John baptized with water. It was a, a baptism of repentance, of sin. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, with power from above. So they were to wait for this empowerment to be witnesses. Uh, now the disciples asked Jesus if it was yet time to restore the kingdom of Israel. What was that all about? Well, these guys and a lot of others wanted Jesus to restore the nation the way it was under King David, under King Solomon, you know, powerful men, powerful kingdoms. But of course, Jesus said, no, that's, that's not what we're talking about, guys. We're not, we're not a political movement. And we're not a military movement. We are a, a movement of people who want to change the hearts and minds of others and turn people to their creator. That's, that's what your job is. It's to, it's to move people to look to, to God through, through me for salvation, to confess their sin, to repent of their sin, and look to God for salvation. And so this, this is what he called them to do, but they had to wait. And you know, it's, it's, it's not, not fun to wait. It's not fun to be patient about things. You know, there's the old saying, of course, strike when the iron is hot, right? You've heard that, strike when the iron is hot. Uh, but you have to wait till the iron gets hot, right? <laughs> there's some time there. If you strike before the iron is hot, you don't, you don't do much. You don't do much. A major dimension of our being disciples of Jesus Christ is, is being so closely related to him, abiding in him, that we know when to act and we know when to wait to act. Now, there's a wonderful example in the Old Testament I'd like to share with you today. When the Jewish folks under Moses' leadership just messed up big time because they weren't ready to strike when the iron got hot, and then when the iron was cold, they decided to strike, and it was not a bad, not, not a good situation. So we have the Jews, they've left Egypt. God has miraculously freed them from their slavery. In Egypt, they're moving uh, to the Promised Land, to Palestine. And they get right up to the edge of Canaan, Palestine. And so Moses sends out spies, uh, one, man from each of the 12 tribes to check out the land. Go out there, men, check it out, find out what the land is like there across the Jordan. And so in uh, Numbers chapter 13, we read uh, this uh, description of all that, beginning in verse 17. Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up there into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land they live in is good or bad, and whether the towns that they live in are unwalled or fortified, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Behold, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they go on out there to check out the land and they return uh, and they, uh, they give this report. 
He said to Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they had a big cluster of grapes that they had brought with them. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Moses had done look good for us. These people are powerful. They got fortified cities. And when, it, when they talk about the descendants of Anak, Anak was a giant man. And these, 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 these people are big. You know, we don't stand a chance against these people. We don't stand a chance. Now, going on, we have, uh, we have uh, Caleb. Caleb gives his response to all this. And uh, Caleb, uh, Caleb's 80 years old right now. But he, he gives this report. He says, the land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Uh, them being Caleb and uh, Joshua. They didn't want to go, to, they didn't want to cross the Jordan. They, they believed the report of the man who said, we can't, we can't do this, we just can't do this. And then God says to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them. God was disappointed with these people. They just won't trust me. Yeah, they're big people. Yeah, they're fortified cities. So what? We can do this. I can do this with you. We can, we can conquer this land. He was angry. God was angry and decided that of the 12 spies, only two of them would enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 and all the people who were 20 years of age and older would die in the desert. They would not enter the promised land. Only those 20 years of age and younger would enter the promised land. Well, when they heard what God had said to Moses, the people were pretty upset. And they turned to Moses. And when Moses said, you're going to die out here in the desert, they didn't want to die out in the desert. So they turn to Moses and they say, okay, we'll do it. We'll, we'll charge across there, the Jordan, and we will conquer these people. They evidently thought they could change God's mind if they moved at that point. But the time had passed. Uh, it wasn't God's will for them to attack. And so we read in Numbers chapter 14, beginning at verse 39, 
When Moses told these words to all the Israelites, the people mourned greatly. They rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, why do you continue to transgress the command of the Lord? That will not succeed. Do not go up, for the Lord is not with you. Do not let yourselves be uh, struck down before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will confront you there, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned back from following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed, they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, even though the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses had not left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them, pursuing them as far as Hormah. So you see what happened here? When the people heard they were going to die out there in the desert, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go then. We'll go then. But the Lord had changed his mind. He said to Moses, don't, don't, don't send the people. But they said, well, well, we'll go anyway. Even if the Lord says not to go, we'll go anyway. We'll go anyway. You know, we, we can't presume that we had to be assured of God's direction in our lives. And, and, and these people were not. I mean, they should have attacked when God told them to attack. They would have been successful. But no, they, they, didn't, they didn't trust God. And a big part of living the Christian life, I believe, is that sense of assurance from God that what we're doing, what we plan to do is really his will. And how do we, how do we, how do we know that? How do we know God's will? How, how do we know when to strike that iron, when the iron, iron is hot enough to strike? How, how do we determine that? Well, the major way that God gives us direction is through the scriptures, is through the scriptures. God will never call us to say something or do something that conflicts with Holy Scripture. So it's important for us to know our Bibles really well and in that way gain an assurance of God's direction. But there's another very important way to, to uh, have, a, have a sense of God's direction in our lives. And that's through the counsel of fellow believers. The counsel of fellow believers. Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans go wrong. But with many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans go wrong. But with many advisors, they succeed. Our family members, our friends who we know really love us, <clears throat> who are really looking out for us, who really want the very best for us, <clears throat> we can trust their counsel. We can trust their advice. And we need people in our lives who know us well, people we've related to and we shared our lives with. And we can go to them and say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this or doing that. What do you think? And they might say, that won't work for you. That won't work for you. I really believe that um, our, our spouses, our family members, our close friends, in many ways know us better than we know ourselves. Because they can, they can see us from a perspective that we can't see ourselves. The truth is that uh, 
we all live in some level of denial. We all live in, we don't want to accept certain things as, as being true. We all have these blind spots. And we need, the pe we need people around us who we know love us to help us see the things we just can't see or that we're just denying, in denial about. <clears throat> so this is, this, these are two important guideposts. What does the Bible say about our plans, what we want to do? And what, what do those who love us counsel us about with the plans that we have? Um, if, if, the, if the people had not attacked when God was not telling them to attack, if they had not done that, if they had listened to the word of the Lord, and if they had heard Moses who cared for them, and loved them, they would have lived for many more years. But many of them died that day because they went against the counsel of the Lord and the counsel of Moses. Making decisions based primarily on our own understanding may be disastrous, may lead us away from God instead of towards God. Well, the disciples did what they were told to do. They waited. They simply waited. They prayed. They waited together. And that waiting was not in vain. Because on the day of Pentecost, when they gathered with, amongst themselves as Jewish people to celebrate the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday, when they came together, the Holy Spirit filled their lives. And Peter, who, you know, who had been so afraid to, to, to be known as one of Jesus' followers, he lied about it, cursed out little servant girls saying that it was. What, what does Peter do? He stands up in front of thousands of people. Basically says, I belong to Christ. I'm his disciples. You need to belong to Christ. You need to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So may our hearts and our minds be so tied to the Lord, so abiding in him, so uh, understanding of Holy Scripture and so open to the advisement of those who love us, that we can know the Lord's will for our lives. Amen.